Don't let a DUI charge ruin your life. Get a professional and confidential evaluation from our experienced team at True Heights Treatment. Our evaluations are accepted by the majority of courts in the state of Illinois and provide a comprehensive assessment of your substance use patterns and potential treatment needs. Get the help you need today and start your path to a brighter future. Contact us now to schedule your evaluation at 708-248-7039 or at thtdui.com. The George Brassy Podcast is made possible with funding provided from Brassy Global Strategies, LLC, a leading political consulting, public policy, government affairs, and research firm. Are you interested in running for elected office? Need advice? Call or email George, 708-769-5015. Brassy Global Strategies 1 at gmail.com. Hey everyone, it's George. I'm so glad to welcome school board president of School District 163 and former alderman of the First Ward in Chicago Heights, Walter Mosby, to the podcast. Walter, thanks for coming on. Good morning, George. Thank you for having me. Walter, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and your backstory and who you were before you became an elected official? <laughs> um, you know, Walter Mosby, uh, born and raised in Chicago. Uh, started off on the east side of Chicago Heights on Wallace Street in 1966. My family moved to the Beacon Hill area uh, where I attended Park Forest Chicago Heights School District 163 from kindergarten through eighth grade and then graduated from um, the high school's district 227 Ridge Central High School. Um, you know, just grew up in a family that was, I had a mother who was a very, very uh, community minded. I did a lot of things in the community as we were growing up. Um, having summer programs at the school, after school programming, uh, summer camps, uh, just just a variety of things just to keep her 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 12 children active. Um, and so it was very interesting. Uh, you know, like I said, I say, you know, sometimes we say it's a normal upbringing, but, you know, we we had some challenges and um, it's kind of funny. I tell people all the time is that uh, when we moved into Beacon Hill, we were actually the first African-American family to move into the neighborhood. So when I grew up, all my friends were, were Caucasian and uh, I've been called Uncle Tom before and a few other names, but, <laughs> you know, just, you know, how we was raised up and we were raised up that people were people. And, um, you know, so it was just very interesting. Walter, what's that transition like for you and how old are you when you're, the family moves from the east side to be? We moved from the east side to Beacon Hill. I was five years old. Uh, I was fortunate to start kindergarten at, at five because my birthday actually fell on the cutoff date, which at that point in time was December 1st. And so, uh, you know, it was, you know, it's kind of interesting because once again, we were just kids growing up and uh, moved into the neighborhood and everyone accepted us. You know, it was, we didn't have racial issues at that time, wasn't any racial tension. Uh, even growing up, we never had race, you know, related fights or anything of that nature. Um, and so it was just, you know, just just a good upbringing um, to to transition from the east side. Like I said, I was so young, uh, and I guess I say I was just naive, and so I accepted people for who they were, and they did the same with me. Walter, what's it like to have eleven siblings growing up? Uh, well, there's never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people right now, one of the things that uh, growing up with eleven siblings, 
Uh, I do not like standing in line to eat. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it was kind of interesting growing up. We all ate dinner together, breakfast together, and mom would make everyone's plate and we sat around and no one could eat until everyone's plate was made. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> and so that waiting, that anticipation, um, you know, was just kind of interesting, you know. But like I said, uh, growing up, like I said, with the 11 siblings, uh, we all are pretty much the same and different. Um, it's kind of funny. I never forget uh, my oldest sister, Marsha, actually played tennis in high school. And she, once again, at that time, we moved to when she transferred from Bloom High School to Ridge Central High School. She was the only African-American. Uh, well, actually, I think she was the only African-American girl in the school. And her and my brother and one more African-American who actually their family had actually lived in Olympia Fields in the 60s um, was at the school. Um, and so she played tennis. My brother played basketball there. Uh, and so, you know, we got in early, you know, to being active and, you know, being athletes and, um, you know, just doing the things that we needed to do. Uh, I'll never forget one time, uh, it's kind of funny, the segue from just being a normal guy to politics is that when I was in high school, me and two of my other sisters were, were members of the student council in high school. And so give you a little taste of, of organizing and being involved in activities that would lead you know, pretty much to my path to a political process. Walter, in that in that family uh, with the 11 siblings, where are you at in the birth order? Uh, I'm at the bottom tier. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm in the bottom quarter. Uh, I have three siblings younger than me. And so that means I have, you know, eight older. <laughs> and so it's kind of kind of interesting uh, that I tell people, um, we come from a family of pecking order, and so when we got in the car, everyone knew where they where they had to seat because the oldest sat in the front, and so on and so forth. And uh, my mom used to drive a little station wagon, and so me, my sister uh, Monica, Raymond, and Lisa, we all got to sit in the back. Uh, if, if anyone remember those old LTD Ford station wagons, they had fold up seats in the back where you can put four small children in there. And so that's what that, you know, that's kind of interesting to, you know, just the dynamics of the family. Uh, if mom and dad wasn't around. My older sister, Marsha, was in charge and it went down uh, just through the pecking order. It depends on who was the oldest there. They're in charge. And when they're in charge, it's just like your parents speaking to you. So they had permission to punish us if we did something wrong. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of interesting. Walter, you mentioned your mom and some of her activity in the community um, while you were growing up as a, as a kid. Can you talk a little bit about what you remember about mom and, you know, the legacy she left in the neighborhood? Yeah, she was extremely active in the community. Like I said, by having 12 children, always looking for things for them to do. I'll never forget when they brought, uh, she helped bring Urban, Gate, Urban Gateway to the school to do summer programming for us. Uh, she became a, a member of what the group called South Suburban uh, Women's Focus Group. Uh, I think there now is the South Suburban Jewish Women's Council. I think they with the name uh, dwarfed into in later years. Uh, but she was very active, uh, by, like I said, by having 12 children and needing them to get out in the fresh air. Uh, moving into the neighborhood, we did not have a park. And not only did we not have a park, but we also had problems getting out of the neighborhood because at the intersection of Western and Beacon Boulevard uh, to the east and Western and North Street to the west, there was no stoplight or stop sign. And so the, the traffic down uh, Western Avenue would just flow and we would have to wait and wait and wait to get out of the neighborhood, especially on a busy day or a Saturday morning, days like that. Um, 
you know, we just couldn't get out. And so she organized a, a kind of a protest, I guess, as to say, or uh, march to uh, get a park and a stoplight there at Western Avenue and um, Beacon Boulevard. Uh, it was kind of interesting because we would go out every Saturday morning. She would <laughs> take all the kids. And so we all participated. Um, and, you know, would stop traffic and, you know, just cause havoc. And uh, actually they moved and finally put a stoplight up there. And then from there, uh, advocating for a park in the neighborhood, um, she fought hard and went to park district meetings. And at that time, we still had the commissional form of, of elected officials at the park district. And, you know, it wasn't the, the, the ward format that we have right now. So basically, uh, none of the commissioners lived in actually the neighborhood. Um, and so we got, we finally got a park and uh, we got the park that named it Dominic J. Sesto Park. And it's kind of interesting because the people in the neighborhood never called it Sesto Park. Uh, if you ask anyone who lived in the Beacon Hill neighborhood, or even currently, they call it Rocket Park because when they put the park together, there was a big rocket ship that was up there and it was a slide that went down. And, you know, and that's what we just call it Rocket Park. Uh, I never forget back in the day that my mom was so upset that they named it Dominic J. Sesto that um, they had the sign. Every time they put a sign up, they had it removed until they came and put up a sign with uh, telephone poles and kind of drew some studs through it that you couldn't take that. You couldn't take the sign down at that time. Uh, but once again, um, you know, it, it was it was a great opportunity, you know, to show that the, the the activism of, of, of my mom to to do things, to uh, in, inspire us to, to, to fight for a good cause. Uh, I tell people, I'll never forget, uh, like I said, we lived in Beacon Hill uh, when Martin Luther King was killed in 1968. And the principal from the high school called my mom and said, listen, we're putting all the kids uh, from Beacon Hill on the bus, we're sending them home, and we need you to meet the bus at Beacon Hill School, and so we, you, we can make sure all the children get home safely and there's no problem. And she got up and she went over there and met the bus. And uh, once again, by being um, very active in the community, because I mean, she's a, my mom used to host dance for the kids in the community at the school on Friday nights and stuff and uh, just doing things. So all the kids knew her and that they all respected her. And so um, they came home and they went home and we had no problems, you know? And so it's just, just that kind of um, guidance as, as a young, a young man, or even as a child, it just instilled things in me that, you know, uh, she always said that we, you know, you have a responsibility to leave a place better than you found it. Walter, who, if you know, who is or was Dominic J. Sesto? He was a former Park District Commissioner. I was kind of funny because when I was uh, working for the Park District and doing things, I actually saw his name on the wall of commissioners there at Commissioner's Park. Uh, I never met the guy, um, but they had just decided to name it after him, you know, and it was kind of interesting that our park would be named Dominic J. Sesto. But once again, um, when and, and once if you understand the history of Chicago Heights, it, it makes more sense uh, by growing up in Chicago Heights and understanding the history uh, than for someone who's just who's just probably come to the neighborhood and trying to figure out how did this park get that name. Because, you know, at that point in time, you know, um, we did have King Park. Mm -hmm. And the other one was Cifa Park, uh, but then they actually changed the name of that and named it after Bruce Hodges, who had did a lot of um, activities on the east side of Chicago Heights with, with the African-American youth and basketball, and, you know, just sports in general. 
Uh, and so we were able to get, they were able to get that park named uh, Hodges Park. And so uh, we, we, we just feel in, in the, the Ward 1 neighborhood that the park should represent someone who in the community who, have, who has done uh, great things in the community. Walter, what were your thoughts about the former um, setup of government, <clears throat> the commissioner model that the Chicagoites had? You know, I mean, in, in, in hindsight, you represent, you, you, you really realize you really didn't have re representation uh, in the city. You didn't have a voice. Um, you know, you could complain. You could do things. I know my mom <laughs> used to uh, actually, I, I go back as, as, as far as Mayor Bonick in Chicago Heights, uh, that she had told him that, you know, she walked through uh, hell and high waters to get him elected and she was going to walk through hell and high water to get him, <laughs> get him out of office. And then that's when um, she actually helped the Panici campaign. Um, so she was, like I said, involved in, in, in city government as well, um, because when she saw something that was wrong, she wanted to make it right. And so she was an advocate for the people in the Beacon Hill community that people didn't even know she was advocating on their behalf. And that's kind of interesting because she didn't have, you know, a, a, an assigned title as a community organizer, but she just had the spirit to do it. I mean, like I said, when she joined South Suburban Women Focus, um, there were some ladies, I'll never forget them as a child, Ann Hernandez, uh, Joyce Norwood, uh, Lenora Dillard, Flora, Flora Graham, you know, and this was kind of her little team, and they worked on a lot of things, as well with uh, uh, Janet Janet Munchnick from Urban Park Forest, and a couple of ladies' names that I can't remember now, but I, both, that, that group of women I remember because they worked hard uh, to bring several things to the neighborhood and, and just organizing and, 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 and doing, doing as, as we say, we can say doing good for the hood. <laughs> so when does, when does mom eventually pass and what is her leaving her lasting legacy in Beacon Hill in your mind? Uh, yeah, uh, she passed in December, December 7th, if I'm not one of my siblings back on, it is a wrong date, but uh, in December of 2011, and because actually uh, last year was the tenth year uh, of her of her passing, um, and the legacy she left is that you know everyone knew Miss June. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know it was kind of funny. A guy told me one time when I got into politics that I was trying to make a name for myself, and I told myself I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to live up to the name. Uh, my mom has established this a long time ago. You know. Uh, that's who people knew, uh, you know, because of her activism, because of the fact that she always wanted to give back, uh, because of her uh, wonderful uh, birthday celebration parties that she always had the second Saturday in June, that we continue to host those parties, even in, in her in her absence, because that's one of the things she told us when she was alive, is that every second Saturday in June, you guys better celebrate me. And so we just, this past weekend, we just had a celebration. And, you know, small, you know the, the gatherings get a little smaller, but uh, we, we still do it, you know, to, to, just to keep the legacy going. Just remember, you know, why we why we here and how we, why did we are so blessed is because we had a mom who was extremely active. I tell people all the time, before there was food stamps, my mom was part of the group that would go down to a place in Chicago called Cornucopia, and they would bring back all the government commodities, you know, uh, all those cans that said USDA, the white and black cans, and they had an office on the east side of Chicago Heights, and they would sit up, and the pe families would actually come there and pick up their commodities. And it was just kind of interesting, you know, like I said, as a young child, you really don't, you really don't understand everything that's going on. 
But as I got, as I grew to adult, I said, oh, wow, they were feeding people way back then, you know, and they were going down, they, they would rent a truck, to, uh, the organization, I don't know if it was Cedar or, or what the group it was at that time, but they would rent a truck for them and they would go pick it up, bring it all the way back to Chicago Heights and everyone from, you know, the east side of Chicago Heights, the west side, that those who are in need would come and, would, would come and get the commodities. And it's just kind of, kind of interesting because I know that uh, the leftovers would get stored in our garage and so people would actually come to our house <laughs> to pick up stuff over in the Beacon Hill uh, area. So it's just kind of interesting, uh, just the things that she did. And I said, you know, uh, people just, just knew her. She was on the board at uh, Happy Hour Preschool. Um, just, like I said, <laughs> and so that's what people, you know, that's where I get it from. I get it from her. I get it from her to want to help, to want to make life better. Uh, and, you know, just give back to the community, making a better place for, for the kids and families who are coming up behind us. Walter, what leads you to initially making the decision to run for an elected office? And what was the initial elected office you ran for? Well, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, my first office that I ran for, let me make, let me see. It's kind of funny. When they changed the, the, the form of government in Chicago Heights, mm-hmm. I ran the first time as a candidate for the Park District Board uh, for Ward 1. And I actually ran against Bertha Scott. And there was no way that I thought I would lose an election in Beacon Hill to anyone. And I lost. And it's kind of funny. My wife told me when I dropped off, uh, we went and voted before she went to work. And as I dropped off at the train station, she said that if God has anything to do with this, you will not win. Mm. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, yeah. You know, and so I didn't win. And it was, and then I, once again, I was a little naive. Uh, but at that point in time, um, the Democratic Party in Chicago Heights had labeled me a Republican, and um, I, I, I didn't win because you know the people in the neighborhood when they changed, they were for whoever the Democratic candidate was. That's what they were going to vote for, and so I lost to Miss Bertha Scott. Um, well, like I said, I, I I couldn't believe it, but I did, um, and you know it, it was a little tough lesson because I was. Uh, it was kind of funny. It was in the, the Star newspaper about after, after that election uh, that the Mosby the, the, the Mosby family had stole two hundred and some thousand dollars from the Park District, and <laughs> it was kind of interesting. And the interesting part about it is that uh, I'll never forget. Um, I confronted the current mayor at that time. He was just the uh, a political activist with the. Uh, the uh, Chicago Heights, I guess, Democratic Party, where I was kind of naive. And I ran up into him, what are you putting in some of the paper? Tomorrow? I said, well, I haven't stolen anything. And it's kind of funny. We laughed about it later on because uh, a program that I was running, it was, a un- it was an un- unbudgeted program for the park district. But they allowed me to do uh, some after-school programs in, I think, six or seven of the elementary schools in Chicago Heights and to provide some community uh, after school recreational for, for kids and stuff. And Dave Dunn had kind of signed off on it. At that time, Dave Dunn was the superintendent of the park district and uh, Jim Ferris was actually the uh, board president. And so they had said, okay, but what happened was that everything that they did that was basically not a budgeted item was put in that line item. And so it looked like that, you know, we had spent an excessive amount of money uh, doing things, but uh, we, we kind of squashed that. I, I, that's what I really learned about politics, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that it's not nice <laughs> and, and people say or do what they need to say or do to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so 
that's one that's one thing that I don't really like about it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And so uh, then I ran for the Park Force Chicago School Board and I lost that election as well. I lost my first two elections. A lot of people don't know that, but I've won ever since then. But I lost my first two elections. Mm -hmm. But once again, uh, being a political novice, I, I pretty much did stuff on my own. Um, and I, I realized that, you know, party affiliation in, in some neighborhoods is a must. Uh, so. So you lose your first two elections. When do you take the first W? When's I take the first W. Actually, I ran I ran as a write-in candidate for the Chicago Heights Park School Board. And I won. It was kind of funny. I won that election. And two years later, I, I, I became the, the, the uh, school district board president. And I'll never forget, my niece was at a, a, a Village of Park Forest uh, meeting. And at that time, uh, John Ostenberg was the mayor. And he said, you, you guys have this guy. He gets 18 of his family members to vote for him. He wins the election. Now he's my school board president. <laughs> Uh, and it's kind of interesting because, like I said, in the right end, I actually won 18. Uh, the other guy got 18. I got 43 votes. <laughs> wow. But, um, you know, and that, that was my first W. And then, you know, I continued to win school board elections. Uh, even within that process, I actually lost an election because I ran against uh, Alderman White. Uh, and can you, before you talk about that, can you tell the listeners a little bit about who Alderman Willie White was? Oh, Alderman Willie White. Legendary uh, stand. Yeah, was was the second was the second um, seated alderman once we became uh, got the the ward format for aldermans. Uh, he replaced uh, the form, former alderman Robert McCoy. Uh, alderman White was is is also a Chicago Heights and Beacon Hill legend. Uh, he he did a lot of work with uh, football programs uh, back in the day. Uh, him and Don Passmore had ran a tackle football program for uh, the city. Well, actually. They had actually ran. It wasn't for the city of Chicago, but it was in the city of Chicago Heights. Uh, he had also did a lot of things. He was the uh, the grand, uh, the exalted elder at the uh, Elks Lodge in Chicago Heights. Uh, you know what? Uh, when I actually took his place after his passing, um, I you know a lot of times you 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 don't know what a person does until you walk a mile in their shoes. And I mean, he would pay people's water bills and light bills, and they would call them when I was going through the voicemails and clearing them out. You know, people, you know, they'd broke into my house and stole my TV, and you know, he would go and 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 see about the the neighborhood, and and he was this kind of person that was liked by everyone. Um, you know, a great man. Uh, you know, um, you know, there's nothing bad I can say about Alderman White because uh, he beat me <laughs> as as well, and. Uh, you know, once again, that I learned again, you know, it, it was the the uh, political affiliation that really helped him. Um, because once again, like I said, you know, uh, well, actually, my sister told me if kids could vote, I would never lose the election. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, after uh, actually, I just retired last year after basically 40 years of coaching youth sports and being involved in youth sports. Uh, uh, you know, I can I can hang my hat on George Brass. He was one of those under my tutelage. You were, was. Yeah, you know, and it's just, just interesting. You know, like it's because it's, it's all about giving back, it's about making places better, you know, uh, helping young people get to the next level, those who are inspired in athletics, academics, uh, performing arts, uh, you know, uh, computer science, whatever it is about giving a young person the opportunity to, to uh, experience a few things and to be able to do some things. 
So you finally, after Alderman White passes, do you get appointed to the first ward seat or do you have to run again? To win? I, get, I get appointed because Alderman White actually, it was kind of you know, just kind of strange because he had just won re-election mm-hmm. and got sick. And then so he died. He died in uh, December of, and that should have been prop December of 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2012, because he died a year after my mom. And uh, so in, in 2013, I got I got appointed. I think it was that February, uh, and then so after that, three years later, then I had to run again, and, and I won. And you know, uh, all good things have to come to an end. <laughs> and so I decided I wasn't going to run again, and Alderman Smith uh, kind of took my place. When you think about your career in public service, do you find yourself being more interested in the school district work as opposed to city work, or has that changed throughout your life? No, you must know my heart. Uh, no, actually, it's kind of funny. It, it was it was more uh, fulfilling to serve on the school board than city council, and 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 the difference is because the decisions we make at the school board, we can see them almost instantly. Decisions we made that, that that I made, you know, during my time on city council, some of those things are just now happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a process that you know you approve something and then it doesn't happen to two, three, maybe four years later, and it finally comes to fruition. Uh, at the school district, if we say we're going to build something next year, we breaking ground. You know, we're doing something. You know, if we're going to buy something, you know, it's delivered. It delivered. The, you know, the next month, um, and so it it gives you you know that almost immediate gratification that you've really done something good. And so you can see it. And then to be able to see the, see the, 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 the light of children glow up when you, you give innovating things and, you know, bring new buildings. Uh, it's kind of funny when we got the money to build the uh, STEM lab over at Barack Obama school, one kid walked in and said, man, Mr. Mosley, I think I just died and went to heaven, <laughs> you know, and it was because of the fact that he was just in awe of, of all this innovation that we were bringing to, you know, to a school of, of children of color. You know, when you think about minority school districts, a lot of times we don't have the accessibility to a lot of, uh, of the advantages of our, of our, our northern suburb, suburban friends. And so when our kids get an opportunity to, you know, have hands-on to have a computer lab. We we now have an, an, an Amazon incubator center in, in our district. Uh, you know, just a lot of things that are going on. We have recording studios. The kids, you know, make their own film. They they uh, sets and performing art school that they design the set. They make costumes. They do everything to give them that hands-on experience. Is just something that's that you know I can smile about because I see a smile on the child's face. Walter, you also, in addition to your political work and your public service, you also are a pastor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your faith journey? Yeah, you know, some people, I guess, someone said, uh, you must not have enough to do. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny because I tell people that being in ministry is something I never, I never kind of imagined. But I, I found myself, uh, you know, in, in pretty much a dark place early, early in my my late, my, my mid twenties, uh, and just was looking for guidance and direction and, um, you know, met with my pastor at the church. I was in and out of the church and, um, you know, he said, well, you know, um, you know, you, you might be, you know, calling into the ministry. You need to pray about it. And I, I prayed about it and, 
Um, you know, uh, it's kind of funny. I tell people that I heard the voice of the Lord say, you're going to preach or you're going to die. And I knew I was spiritually dead already. So I, I guess that to me, that meant a, a physical death. And with, as we like to say, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and it's kind of interesting because I, 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 I landed right where I needed to be because I landed and I became the youth pastor at the church. And that was just my niche. I, I love young people and to be able to share the gospel with them, to be able to, you know, nurture them in a spiritual walk and to accept and respect them as being young people. You know, I tell people all the time is that, you know, uh, I don't believe in forcing religion on anyone or, or browbeating people with the Bible. I don't think that's what, that's what Jesus would have us to do. He would like for us to live a life before people that they can see your life and then want to, you know, mimic, mimic your life. Uh, and so if I can't live it before people, it's kind of hard because I tell you one, a, a lady told me one time, she said, Reverend Mosby, I'd rather see, I'd rather see a sermon live than a sermon preached. And so that's the model that I've taken is that, you know, I have to allow, I have to allow my light to shine or my life to shine before people that they will see something that they want to follow. And then once I, once they see that, then I can introduce them on that spiritual walk. Walter, the last question I have are what are two books you would recommend to the audience that have been important to you as a person and why have they been important? Oh man. Uh, first book was who moved my cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson. It's, it's a, just a book about change really. And he, kind of funny he talks about these two mice and two humans that he put in a maze and you know long as the cheese is in that one spot everybody's satisfied but when, once the cheese is moved you know or the cheese has been been eaten in that spot that when you have to you know kind of pivot and do something different people don't don't like that and he talked about the once again there's not a problem with change it's just resistance too and it, it helped me to, to change. And actually it was kind of funny. It was because the book that we were actually was at a retreat at work and it was recommended that we read. And so basically it was about change in the workplace um, to, to be able to adapt to things and, and press your way on through and to, to, to succeed. And so it's, it's really enlightening. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short book. What I really appreciate it's only 98 pages long, I think, or hundred pages long, something like that. Uh, and it's, it's a good read. It's a good read. Uh, I, I recommend it to anyone who is who has difficulty with change or uh, don't, you know, don't like change. Uh, just read that and it'll kind of help you, you know, guide your way through. And, you know, then once again, I always say the next one is, is, the, is, is, is the Bible. Uh, and uh, it's kind of funny we talk about there. It's over the book of Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, the first verse says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and love and favor rather than silver and gold. And basically is that your name is more important than anything else. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, you know, once again, uh, me, me, both of us are, are, are the thirds. And so there's, there's two George Barassi before you and there's two Walter Moses before me. And so that, that name, that name carries something. And so, that's what we that's what we pride ourselves in you know mom would always say don't shame the name <laughs> you know when you're going up don't shame the name and so that's that's one of the things that i just hold on to just, just to give you good guidance about that a good name is rather chosen than riches and, and all the things you know because sometimes people will sell out for anything and especially being in politics i that you, you have to keep grounded because uh, you don't have to be looking to do anything wrong. There'll be people looking for you to do wrong. And so if you don't stay grounded and, and, and open-minded, uh, you'll find yourself in some bad and dark places or doing some things that, you know, will, will get you an orange jumpsuit. 
Walter Mosby, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or find you on the internet, how could they do it? Uh, you can find me. Um, my Facebook page is uh, Walter Mosby. Um, you can also um, email me at mrmosby3 at yahoo.com. Um, and I'm open for anyone who, if you've got any questions, concerns, you think about getting into politics, you have a uh, struggling in ministry, whatever it may be, um, you know, I'm easy to be found. Um, and I'm, I'm always willing to share. But I think that's the greatest gift that we have is to give back and to share with someone else. Walter Mosby, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. George, thank you and have a great day. Take care. All right. Help George stay on the Chicago Heights City Council. Go and donate today at tinyurl.com slash aldermangeorge2023. Begin to transform your life and work towards inner peace with expert psychotherapy. At True Heights Treatment, our experienced therapists provide personalized, compassionate care to help you overcome life's challenges and reach your goals. Whether you're struggling with depression, anxiety, relationship issues, or other mental health concerns, our team is here to support you. With a warm and welcoming in-person and virtual office atmosphere and a commitment to person-centered and evidence-based treatments, we are dedicated to helping you address your life's challenges. Contact us now to schedule your first session at 708-248-7039 or online at trueheightstx.com. Book your appointment today and start your journey towards a happier, healthier life. Need more George? Like his pages on Facebook. Friends of George Brassy PAC, Fifth Ward Business Alliance, Chicago Heights Bicycle and Pedestrian Resource Center, and the George Brassy Podcast. Thank you.